look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. You? I'm doing well. Uh, we uh, much better than markets. <laughs> it's fully volatility. It's been a lot of volatility yeah. for sure. We're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to have to talk about that. And I don't think the volatility necessarily goes away. I mean, clearly, there's lots of uh, markets trying. The markets trying to figure out where we go next, right? Uh, we got a shortened show today due to the football game. Yeah. Uh, let's let's uh, cheer on. You know, wish the stamps the best here, but let's make uh, best of the time that we've got here. Um, a pretty cool show. Uh, we're br- we're bringing on our industry regulator uh, and the president of that uh, because we want to talk about an issue that's going to face um, Canadian investors as they age. Yeah. This isn't specific to Canadian uh, investors that are aging, but we know that vulnerabilities increase as we age. And uh, our industry and our regulator takes us very seriously, um, and we know it's a serious problem. So we're going to hear a little bit about how to safeguard yourself, your family, yeah. um, against vulnerabilities. Um, interesting topic. Uh I want to talk about a different topic, though, uh, to get this show kicked off. I want okay. to talk about um, fees and value. Wow. Let's not shy away from this. Okay. Right? I'm glad we're talking about this because <laughs> you and I have been talking yeah. about this for a while. Yeah. Many of you listening have probably heard or seen the commercials out there about um, advisors getting fired uh, on a commercial because they don't see uh, they're moving somewhere else because of the cost. Yeah. What I believe is missing in those commercials is do the per- does the person not see value? Now, it's, it's implicit. They don't see value, and that's why they're leaving. Oh, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it is. Okay, sorry. Let me right, and so it's, it's the industry as a whole right. has talked about fees that are being charged yep. based upon the management of the money. Yep. And so you and I always have these conversations of, what does the value that the advisor provides and is the fee justified in the client's view? Right. Um, I'm going to expand that. And, and I'm going to say to you, I'm going to raise this topic, get your thoughts on it. It's very difficult to determine value if you, in fact, don't know what your fees are. Yes. So there's a different issue here as well. Yes. There's a transparency issue. Yeah. Right? Um, which always surprises people. And, and yeah, so we, we learned about this years ago in our practice when we were seeing that people were just commenting on what they are paying in fees based upon what the advisor or the brokerage firm is charging. Mm-hmm. What they did not realize is that some of the underlying investments that they're in have embedded expenses to it that the client never sees. Right. So there's a hidden cost. We call that the wholesale cost. That's right. the cost of owning that product in your portfolio. Where would you find a wholesale cost? So, so if somebody's listening to this, and yeah. what, what the heck is a wholesale cost and where would I look for Good this? question. Good question. So um, foreign exchange, right. whenever you do a transaction, there's a hidden fee to that sometimes. Yeah. There is in mutual funds, right. there's a management expense ratio. Um, and that's not the commission, the trailing commission to the advisor. I'm just talking about the management fee. Yeah. Then there's a management fee for an exchange-traded fund. Yep. So there's different types of investments out there that have embedded costs. Right. Right. Um, and now I'm going to go on. A, I'm going to go on a limb, and it's it's not 100, percent but I'm going to say, if you have anything but a pure stock or a bond, like a very just a, a pure common share that you own in a, an account or a, a bond, okay, if it's some other kind of structured product other than that, there 
is most often, not 100% of the time, there's most often an embedded or hidden cost. In Correct. That. And I don't think the public understands that. Right. And I think they need to be disclosed that information. So you and I made a right. conscious decision many years ago right. to be fully transparent of hidden right. and, and costs that they will see on their statements. Right. To produce a total cost of ownership. Correct. So right? tra- fee transparency is important. Right. Now, beyond that... Right. So if you've got fee transparency now, yeah, now, now, that we're, now we're at value. Now you can compare apples to apples. That's correct. Okay. And so when an advisor says, I charge you, and let's make up some numbers here, I charge you 1%. Right. And another advisor says, I'll charge you 1.5%. Right. The concept is, let's go to the 1% because the 1% is cheaper. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean there's more value in it, and there may not be full fee transparency. So do, as a listener, do your due diligence on saying what are all the costs. I want to know full fee transparency, not just what you're reporting on your statements. Right. Okay. The second part of this now comes down to is what overall services do you require as an investor or a client? Right. Are you looking for more than just money management? Because money management is a program or a strategy that is going to be declining in cost. It's already happened. Well, and just think about the evolution of the industry, just so people understand what you're talking about, right? So we had an industry at one time that was just a full-service advisory. Yeah, stock right? brokers. Stock brokers. Yep. Okay, and you paid a commission, typically, buy and sells. And then the industry went and sort of branched off, and we, uh, we had this um, discount arm. Right, yeah. so where you can do it yourself and you pay a discounted amount for Correct. that, right? Because it's just a transaction fee. There's no embedded uh, price, if you will, for yep. the the advice. Okay, and then we're further branching out in this fintech, you know, financial technology. These things will commoditize and operationalize the ability to to trade, so it brings those costs down, right? So that's what you're speaking about the the, the, the cost costs. to actually trade and do those kinds of things is coming down with Correct. technology. Correct. It's going down to pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Right? Where the value an, an investor or a client needs to see is what other services are being provided in what I'm looking for. Yeah. Am I getting a bunch of other stuff? Right. We'll call it stuff, right? Stuff, yeah. And tax strategy, uh, um, looking at your healthcare programs, looking at your right. estate planning, right. retirement planning, you know, risk mitigation, right. understanding those different services that are out there. Because you can buy those in services individually. Well, that's, what, that's the fragmentation that's happening, right? So to your point, I think uh, uh, investors okay, need to become more educated about what channel they should be in to Correct. get value. And right. right now, investors look at two things. What's your rate of performance? Right. And how much do you charge? Yeah. And that's what they base their... That's like going into a car dealership and saying, give me the fastest car and tell me what the cheapest price is. Not knowing anything else about the vehicle. Right. Does it have seatbelts? <laughs> Don't know. Don't right. care. Right. I just want to know how fast I can drive and how cheap it is. And unfortunately... When you don't know if you have seatbelts or not, yeah. when the crash comes, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so to determine value, you need to understand what your goals and objectives are. And I want to quickly um, uh, put this uh, this in because this this sort of conversation came up as a result of um, talking to a client this particular week. We were going through a detailed financial plan yep. and uh, risk mitigation in terms of this was total wealth. This had nothing to do with stocks, but it was about in the event that something should happen. Um, there's different ways to protect yourself, and, and the reason it came up is. Uh, he had a, a close family member, um, part of the extended family, pass away suddenly. And uh, there was there was no insurances in place. And this family is now being materially impacted by this. Yes. Um, 
and there was no, it doesn't appear, at least there was any coordinated strategy, right? So there's a very, it's very different. You, you've got to know the channel that you're going to go down here. If you just want inexpensive transactions for stock picking, that's, that, that's a different objective than if you're looking at Holistic. total wealth management, Correct. right? Uh, um, risk mitigation, those kinds of things. And it's, it's incumbent upon everybody to educate themselves enough to know that they should, what questions they should be asking when they when Correct. they're interviewing advisory teams, and that's today's program. It's yeah. talking about what we need to as an investor mm -hmm. and as a client of an advisor, what you should be asking. What right. are all your services? Right. What's the value that I see in them, and should I be dealing with you based on that? Exactly. And then also, as people age, in our next segment, we're going to talk about the vulnerability and and issues that come up there. So this is all about the total package. This right. is not a transactional game anymore. Well, it, it could be. Let's not discount that. Some people could could just want that. Correct. Right. But what you don't want is 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 it would be inconsistent to expect that transact that low fee transactional thing. But I want all of these other services. You're not going to get both of those. That's why it's yeah. critical. I'm, we're trying to you're educate. paying for human capital here. Yeah, right? so we're, we're going to pay for. That's it. right. We're trying to educate. And to that point, let's let's remind everybody about our upcoming seminar because so that's talk, the education. Yeah, let's talk about educating on all four buckets. How yeah. the whole strategy works on Tuesday, August twentieth, seven p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online by going to morethanmoneyradio.ca. Stick around after the break. We'll be chatting about how the baby boom generation is not retiring the way we expected. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. For once in my life, I have someone who needs me. Someone I've needed so long. Welcome back. You're here with David Faisal on 770CHQR and More Than Money. Um, you know, Faisal, we've got, a, I think, a terrific guest and, and a topic that we want to talk about. Um, the next guest, she's an author. She's written uh, a piece called Work Is Not a Place. That's a little bit longer title than that, but I think that's a compelling thing to think about, right? Correct. Um, and what does it mean after work? So what are the organizations involved, you know, that we're involved in? What, how does it relate to us? So I think this is an interesting topic. That transition point can often be difficult for, uh, for people, and I think we need to continually explore it and let people know that they're not alone on that, and there's some uh, ideas and solutions. Linda Nazareth is joining us today, senior fellow at uh, McDonnell Laurier Institute, and she's also the author of Work is Not a Place, Our Lives and Our Organizations in the Post-Jobs Economy. Linda, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, let, let's let's talk about um, some research. There's some research that, that's been coming out recently uh, that the mass baby boomer retirement wave may never really materialize. So yeah. tell me a little bit about what, what that means. That's interesting. It is, because it's been almost like this urban legend, hasn't it? That yeah. we're going to have this exodus of people from the labor force, and it's going to be really easy for young people to find jobs, and wages right. are going to go really high. And as it turns out, people are not leaving as quickly as we thought they might. I mean, they're leaving. People get to a certain age, and they do leave. But it's sort of not automatic at 65 with a full pension anymore. So we could change some of our assumptions. Well, so let's, let's, let's talk about those assumptions and sort of what, what could prevent... Um, that retirement boom from happening? 
Well, if you ask people, they will generally say it's because I like work, I want to be busy, I'm not into golf. A lot of the times, though, if you get a little beyond that, you find that people haven't maybe saved as much as they would have liked for retirement. Remember, this generation has had more gyrations than perhaps others. Now, the baby boomers have been through a lot of economic cycles. There have been periods of unemployment. Uh, perhaps they have been not as lucky in their investments as they would have liked. It's a generation they've perhaps had more marital transition, which is to say divorce, or kids at different ages, perhaps later than their parents did. So they have a lot of financial pressures, and they do not evaporate on their 65th birthday. Sometimes work is an option, and they're choosing it. So, so Linda, there's, there's been many economists out there who've been talking about this potential issue where if we have more and more of our baby boomers still in the workforce or um, delaying retirement, it doesn't bode well for the economy for a couple of reasons. One, we don't have younger people coming in, um, increasing their wealth, increasing their incomes to support a housing market. Um, they are There's not as much spending going on as you age, especially over the age of 55. Apparently, according to some of these economists, spending goes starts to go down versus when you're 18 to 45. Um, all those different types of issues that are starting to come up and saying, maybe we are now in a, a, a longer term slowdown of the economy, maybe even deflation because of this. What, what are your thoughts in regards to that? Well, there's a lot of strains to that, actually. One is that it's not necessarily such a bad thing to have more people in the workforce. Actually, in a lot of places, uh, you have too few workers. Now, I know there's you know different local pressures going on. If we're talking about Alberta, it might be quite different. But certainly in the U.S., which sets the tone for a lot of the policies we have here, uh, and in a lot of the world, we have really very, very tight labor markets and not enough people. Now, here's where it, why it matters. If we had everyone from the baby boom leaving, you would have a real shortage of workers. Mm-hmm. You would have wage pressures going higher and you would, have, you would have interest rates going higher for sure. And that would impact on Canada too. So it's not necessarily that bad a thing that people are, are staying in. Uh, in terms of spending, does it matter? Well, it matters in... Inevitably, people spend differently as they age. You don't buy as much stuff. You're not furnishing your first apartment when you're 65, uh, and you're not, you know, paying for your kids' things necessarily at those ages. You do spend differently on experiences and the like. I find that spending really goes down sort of post 65 and 70. Before that, people are, are spending on concert tickets and traveling and cruises, perhaps if they can, or, or just on day-to-day life if they need to. So I'm not really worried about the demographically induced slowdown yet. Really, the demographically induced slowdown was going to come from a, a fall in the working age population. And if we're not having that as rapidly, then I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Maybe we have a timeline shift going on here because when we were young, Dave, we were told at 18, get the heck out of the house, mm-hmm. go get a job, go, go, go to school, whatever it may be. And we're finding... 18-year-olds today are not being told that. They're staying home longer. Mm-hmm. They're getting married later. Their parents are working longer than than their grandparents were. Yeah. Their, grand, their parents are living longer. So everything might have been shifted on a timeline basis. So maybe we're moving everything 10, 15 years out. So instead of, and, and don't get mad at me when I say this, Dave, your kids might be living with you till they're 33. <laughs> then what happens? I guess, Linda, do you think that's what's kind of happening now? We're just shifting from, uh, because longevity has come into play, maybe the, the, t- the, the, the time points of where things change in your life, such as leaving the home or, or retiring, have all been shifted over maybe even by 10 to 15 years. 
Yeah, that's a good point, because we are seeing it both ends of this. As you say, people are less likely to leave as early as they did, certainly less likely to get married and buy houses. Lots of that is always about the cost of real estate. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in 10 years, because if people are just saving money and waiting for perhaps the market to get a little bit weaker and you know things to get more affordable, we could have a boom in housing, we could change everything up. It's just not quite as early. If it's a social thing, and there's some evidence that perhaps it is that, you know, people on, uh, I don't want to be called sexist here, but men are maturing a little later than they did, mm-hmm. uh, then we could see, you know, uh, perhaps that 10-year shift going on a long time. I mean, just maybe an aside, that there was one study out of the U.S. that said one of the reasons that young men are okay with not being in the workforce uh, as early as they were is because video games have gotten so much better. Hmm. That's, That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I can I, I can certainly point to some people I know. <laughs> You're not amongst them, Faisal. No, That's I, the good I, news. I can't That's even it. turn on the console. <laughs> I have no idea how to use that stuff. <laughs> Linda, you've said lots of interesting things, in, including um, you know that people want to stay engaged longer. Maybe they enjoy their work. Maybe they need to for financial reasons, or perhaps it's part social. All of those things are an important uh, piece of it. But if we talk about you know what is this baby boom retirement wave going to look like? I mean, what is what does retirement look like under the scenario that you know you're describing? Well, I think people will have to make some changes from their expectation. If people have not saved as much, and you know, that's not anyone's fault. There have been a lot of reasons to not save, and as well, it's not like it was 30 years ago where there was a defined pension. And as well, interest rates at one point in the 80s were what, 18%, 15%, get a lot on your savings. Now you've got to take a lot of risk to get return. And that's not necessarily the best thing as you're you know, later in life. So people are going to have to think about how they want to live. And again, not necessarily a bad thing. Simpler lives can uh, be interesting as well, but it may not be the spending on travel and renovations and everything else that people might have considered. You know, there's a lot of implications for industries. I'm not, um, if you look at what we had in the 70s and 80s, it was a time crunch. And everything we offered was about how do you save time. So you go to the supermarket, you got your vegetables already cut up, and you got everything pre-made. And you know, um, instant Jello was a thing. And Jello is not really yeah. very hard to make, but instant Jello became a thing because it's easier than making it yourself. Right. Well, maybe when people have more time and perhaps less money, they start doing more things themselves. Right. And you know, again, not necessarily a bad thing, but it has some implications. And I think that's maybe where we have to leave it. I think that's exactly right. Um, uh, the journey, you know, as we often talk about it, Faisal, you, you, we just don't know. We've, there's ideas about what it's going to look like, and then when people get to that point in time in their journey, right, sometimes it looks a little different. Correct. And different doesn't have to mean better or worse. Uh, Linda, I, we're going to have to leave it there, as I said. I want to thank you very much for your contribution your, uh, for the, to the show and your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Been joined by uh, Linda Nazareth. She's a senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute, also the author of Work is Not a Place, Our Lives and Our Organizations in the Post-Jobs Economy. Um, <clears throat> I don't think I have much to, to add to that. I think Linda did, did a good job of, of um, sort of describing what we talk about a lot, right? Correct. We're going to get to this point in the journey, transitioning to and or living in retirement, 
and it's going to be different. We're going to have to figure it out, right? But you can't sort of prejudge. I mean, some people will have to stay at work because they want to. That That's their social connection. Correct. Some will do it for financial reasons. Some Correct. will do it just to stay out of trouble. I need to stay engaged in something academically. Correct. Right? But we're going to talk about all of those things and how to make sure you're planned properly for what you want that retirement to be. Yeah, it's all about what you want and how you want yeah. your future to look like in your retirement, how to bulletproof that with all these things that are going on in the economy and the markets. We'll be talking about that on Tuesday, August 20th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We look forward to talking to you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.